strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Um, I posted a picture earlier this week of um, DPS Director Colonel Heston Silbert uh, and something that I thought was kind of a a picture that spoke a thousand words and what's happening at the border. We all understand what's happening in Yuma, and it is a disaster it's of of um, of humanity. It is just a horrible situation for everyone involved. The governor was holding a press conference down at the border, and a, a lot of the other dignitaries were there, including uh, Colonel Silbert, because uh, the DPS is now going to be sending assets down to Yuma County in order to help and assist with what's going on down there. And very, very spontaneously during all of this, this young migrant boy walks out of the crowd, walks in front of everybody, and just hugs the DPS director. And it was a picture that I got from the Yuma Sun. I was so moved by the picture because this was just such a genuine act from this little boy who has no idea the politics of the situation. Um, He just wanted to hug somebody in law enforcement. So I I thought that just painted a picture of the desperation of what's happening on both sides of the border, but in Yuma County. So I asked the DPS director to join us, and he is with us now. Colonel Silbert, um, can you describe that moment, how from your perspective, what was that like with that little boy? Well, it was it was unexpected. I uh, I had been watching. You know, there were several uh, migrant families along the wall on the U.S. side where that that press conference was set up, and I was just standing in the back, I believe, as the governor was speaking. And uh, uh, I'd just been watching the little boy and his sister playing. You know, they're just little kids. You know, they're playing in the dirt. They can find anything to entertain themselves. They have no idea of the gravity of the situation. Um, or really the the gravity of the journey they had they had walked, and uh, I don't out of the blue. I, in fact, in fact, I'd, I'd watched his dad wash his hands, you know, with some water after he was playing in the dirt, and then um, all of a sudden he kind of looked at the press conference, sort of curious, like what's going on here, and he walked a little closer and a little closer, and I saw him, and he. He walked through everybody, and for some reason, he walked up to me. Uh, there were several people there, but he walked up to me and he put out his hand and uh, uh, and uh, gave me a hug. And it just, yeah, it, it, uh, it kind of, it, it, it was kind of, it rocked me a little bit. Yeah, I, I know that. Um you know, in law enforcement, sometimes being able to maintain your emotions in emotional situations is part of the job. But that had to be that had to be moving in that moment. Well, it was. I think it probably uh, impacted me more that evening, quite frankly, because uh, you know I got home and uh, walked into a, a, a house with a bed and everything else, and uh, you know that, I knew that little boy was still down on the border at the you know at the wall or being processed, uh, depending on what was going on. So that that was on my mind quite a bit throughout the evening and, and the drive back up from Yuma. Now, we know that uh, the Border Strike Force, most people in Arizona understand the creation of the Border Strike Force and the ability of your agency to help local law enforcement in issues with the border. But what now is happening? I know the governor is asking for more help. What is it exactly the DPS will be deploying and doing in Yuma County and other places on the border? Well, the area we were during the press conference, that that area is right along the wall and right along the border and, and where the gaps are. And, and uh, the Border Patrol and the Yuma County Sheriff's Department, uh, they, they're dealing more with that issue down there. But 
what we did is we we worked with Border Patrol and uh, some of our our own intelligence that we always continue to gather as to where we thought the greatest threat was going to be. The people who are self-surrendering don't don't create the what I would call the the criminal threat coming into the country that some others might. And um, those were the people in the areas we uh, concentrated our effort on with the coordination from Border Patrol, our intelligence, and we partnered with the National Guard and then went out and hit those areas. And um, in that period of time where those gaps were that we, we started to hit in different parts of the county, I don't want to get too specific, but in a period of two days, we've seized uh, just shy of 300 pounds of methamphetamine. So it's been pretty significant. Is it is it true that the cartels are using the border crossers, the people that are turning themselves in, um, they are used almost as a distraction that when Border Patrol and the assets are are consumed with processing those people, that they are then using other parts of the open border where there isn't law enforcement to bring in the drugs and do, and commit the crime? That's what our intelligence tells us, and then empirically speaking, obviously when you get the uh, you know almost 300 pounds of methamphetamine in two days, then then that's going to be your your data that that proves that set. I I know that every agency in Arizona is dealing with some staffing issues. It's hard to find officers and troopers and deputies. Um, is this going to put a bigger strain on your agency, or is this going to are you going to be able to still uh, do everything else you've been doing around the state and focus on this? Well, we we prepare for for different things that come up during the year. I've the the men and women at this agency adapt to some of the most challenging situations I've ever seen this year. Obviously, they've 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 adapted to COVID, the protests, uh, civil unrest, things like that. And uh, the, our troopers, for instance, when they leave home and say bye to their family on on a deployment. Um, they may not be going home for 14 days, 21 days, something like that. They, because of the nature of our agency being statewide, so we're prepared for it. We're we're always up to to meeting the challenge, no question. Um, I, I'd rather have a an elite group of of state troopers than just a bunch of guys. Uh, joining us right now is, is DPS Director Colonel Heston Silbert. Um, let's talk about when you you mentioned COVID. Uh, what are the policies of your agency on vaccinations? And of course, if you're going to be down at the border and you're going to be closer to in you know these large groups of people, um, how much of your agency is vaccinated? Do you know that answer? And is there a vaccination policy within your agency? I don't know what the percentage is of of our agency that's vaccinated. I uh, I quite frankly I wouldn't I wouldn't feel it's my business. Um, we have no policy that would dictate we that that uh, that our troopers or uh, professional staff employees have to be vaccinated. Uh, we feel it's a personal decision. I personally am vaccinated. Uh, that was the decision for me, but uh, we don't feel like we should uh, we should put that on others. Uh, that should be their choice. Well, Colonel Silbert, I, I appreciate that picture was very moving to me, and I can imagine how it was for you, but I appreciate you giving us the update, and I hope you'll come back because I know that this issue is not going away quickly, and I would love to get an update on how things are going on the border. 
Okay, Mike. Thanks a lot for having me. All right. Thanks. That is Colonel Heston Silbert. He is the DPS director here in Arizona. Over 300 pounds of methamphetamines in two days, just when those assets were deployed. The governor had a two-pronged approach to what the state can do. One is more assets from the National Guard. The other is more is assets from DPS. Now, obviously, no enforcement there of federal law. That is what that is what Border Patrol and ICE agents are for. But what they are able to do is enforce state laws. And um, the last time Colonel Silbert was on with us. Um, he talked about the deaths and the rise in deaths and the things that we are seeing because of the increases in fentanyl and methamphetamines crossing our borders. And it's not ending in Arizona. I mean, it may be crossing the border here, but it is ending up all over this country. And it's part of an epidemic. And uh, it's a shame that it has to be done. But there, you couldn't ask for a better group of people to do it than than these uh, the, the the troopers from DPS. So uh, thanks to Colonel Silbert for coming on with us this morning. Going to shift gears to the economy in just a moment. Retail CEOs are now asking Congress to do something about this crime spree across the country. We'll give you more details next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Um, Again, giving credit where credit's due. Got to love the direction that the Arizona economy is heading. The American economy is growing as well. Not as fast as some people want, but inflation is the big concern. 6.8%, the highest rate of inflation since 1982. I want you to hear just a little bit of an ABC report talking about inflation in America. American households are facing higher prices at nearly every turn. The Consumer Price Index, which measures what you pay for things like gasoline, food, and clothing, increased 0.8% in November, meaning inflation has increased in the last 12 months by 6.8%, and that is the largest increase since 1982. The surge in inflation has been driven by strong demand for cars, furniture, and appliances. The cost of recreation and communication is coming down. So we are seeing inflation in America, and it's a big concern, and it's not just a big concern politically, and that's been – this is where the rub is. Of course, I'm not a big fan of the policies of this administration, never have been, never will be. Um, so therefore, I will look for anything negative to talk about. I talk about the great things, too. We had the the head of the Arizona Chamber of Commerce on yesterday talking about the economy in the state of Arizona and the great direction we're going and the diversity of our economy. But there is uh, uh, the policies that drive any administration also come from priorities. So what we've seen in a Ducey administration is that the governor is a businessman and he looked at Arizona from a business point of view. And it wasn't just him. You got to go all the way back to the to the Brewer administration. And uh, Governor Jan Brewer deserves a whole lot of credit. Um, What happened was when the, the economy crashed in America, Arizona was hit harder than I think any other state per capita as far as debt goes. So that governor was charged with, along with that legislature, was charged with stopping the bleeding, which they were able to do. They were able to stop the bleeding, and then they were able to begin the growth process of getting out from under it. And so, you know, it's almost like when you have a a, a doctor in an, in an emergency room, he may not or she may not do the surgery that saves someone's life. But keeping them alive until the next person comes in is a huge part of it. Without that Without that administration, without the Brewer administration and without that legislature working the way they did and doing the things that were necessary to stop the bleeding of the economy, it could have been much worse for Arizona. 
the next administration, the Ducey administration, focused on diversity. What they learned was Arizona was so focused on construction, we were growing so quickly, that when that industry collapsed, there weren't other industries. Um, When you make investments or whoever you have that manages your money, there are things that you are invested in that when something happens bad in the economy, it doesn't wreck your entire portfolio. That's why they diversify your portfolio so that when bad things happen, you're not crushed. And so that's where smart money people diversify investment. Well, when it comes to an economy, we were not necessarily that diverse in our economy. We had some major corporations here, the Intels, the Honeywells, the on semiconductors, but we were not as diverse as we are now. So the idea of diversifying our economy in Arizona and 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 fostering growth in a way that was business friendly with taxes, land wasn't expensive with things of that nature. We have seen a huge influx of industry into the state of Arizona, and it's helped our economy in the country. And that was a priority. And back to the priority conversation, what we have seen from the Biden administration is the priority is on climate change. And so when it when there are things that are going to hurt an already damaged economy, we are seeing the uptick once again of COVID-19. We are seeing people leaving their jobs. We are seeing uh, inflation, the price of gasoline and the food that people buy. What that does to the economy is it takes away the discretionary income of working families. The vast majority of this country is not wealthy. The vast majority of this country is working class. And when you take away such a big chunk of their discretionary income and their confidence in the economy drops, you see a spiral effect in the economy. And that's what's happened. That's what's happening. So I don't blame the Biden administration for every bad thing that's happened. What I blame the Biden administration for is not shifting their policies to help when it happens. Now, the president will say different. And in fairness, I want you to hear what he says about gas prices. Nationally. Prices are down seven cents a gallon and continue to fall. We're making progress. We're going to keep at it to ensure the American people are paying their fair share for gas. What in the world does that mean? They're paying their fair share for gas. It is such it has become such a cliche within his administration. Fair share, fair share, fair share. Everything's about fair. What do you mean your fair share for gasoline? Gasoline is a commodity or it's you know, it's it's made from it from a commodity of oil. And based on the price of a barrel of oil is that's what the price of gasoline is. Fuel prices are down seven cents. We were told that when you dip into the uh, the strategic reserve, prices would come down. Most people don't think it's going to come down that much. And seven cents is nothing compared to the increases that have happened within this administration. So credit that they did something in the short term. Sure. But their long term goals are all that matter. And there's nothing They should have goals. I mean, they should have an agenda. The Biden administration was very clear about their climate agenda and the American people voted in Joe Biden. And now we are seeing the results of that. So, again, promises made, promises kept. Will Joe Biden run for election again and say, I promise to do things about climate change? And I am. Yes. And he wouldn't be lying. But then the American people have to decide whether or not what he is doing and when he is doing it is the right thing for America. Is this the right time 
to now burden people with higher fuel prices, which then cause the the uh, the cost going up in delivery of goods, which causes food prices to go up in some degree. They're not doing anything to adjust. And now they made an adjustment on gas prices with their strategic reserve. And in the short term, it helped. Why aren't they doing that in other areas? They're continuing with the build, build back better and more and more spending. They're continuing with all of these other plans in spite of what's going on in our economy. That's where I believe the mistakes are made. Whether I don't agree that they should ever do it, but I certainly would say most people would agree now is not the time. And that's the difference. In a moment, we're going to talk about the racial issues in campaigning. It's weird to hear People talking about the Democratic Party and racism, but there are African-American elected leaders that are now saying this has to be addressed. We're going to talk about the racial issue across the board because I think it's important. We'll do that coming up here in a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. I want to wade into a topic because it's become such a big topic about racism in America. And there's a real uh, this is a real conversation we should always be willing to have as uncomfortable as it might be and as many kind of landmines as you might get into. Um, But it's very interesting who is speaking up. And I think this is going to go in such a good direction eventually of settling what's happening in America. Um, Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson says racism within the Democratic Party is the 800-pound gorilla in the room. He's an African-American mayor in um, in Dallas. We know what happened here. I want you to hear, uh, you know, that um, Katie Hobbs, the Secretary of State, um, denied any wrongdoing, denied any discrimination, denied anything wrong, um, and then eventually be – and I don't – I can't predict what's in her heart. I have no idea why. But eventually what she did was reverse course and come back with an apology, apologizing to Talanya Adams who was fired at the state legislature and she said was wrongfully terminated because she wanted a fair wage and some other things that were going on. So Miss Adams was talking to the media yesterday – And this is her response to the Secretary of State. Her response is a response to a political crisis. Her statement is not an apology. It's designed to allow her to get over a political hurdle. I do call for Secretary of State Katie Hobbs to resign from office. I call for Katie Hobbs, current Secretary of State, to drop out of the race for governor. And so, you know... um, the, the reason why this is a topic of conversation is because normally these things are happening and they're, the accusations and, and arguments are happening in the Republican Party. If we don't talk about racism as a whole, if we don't talk about the relations with each other, anyone who denies that racism exists in the hearts of some people is denying reality. And it's an unfortunate part of who we are as a society. There's no doubt about it. If you're judging someone based on the color of their skin, their appearance, you are you are you are doing yourself and that person a disservice. But when it affects how you treat people, it's even worse. So there's a difference between having some predisposed idea in your head and those thoughts are motivating your actions. Somebody sent me the other day a story, and I, I don't remember what state it's out of, 
about a real a white real estate appraiser who appraised a home, uh, the same home for two different people, one white owner, one black owner. And for the black owners, they appraised the home at like half a million dollars less than the other uh, than when 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 the white person owned the home. Um when those kinds of things exist, that's overt racism. What we did in this country with the Jim Crow laws was was that we corrected the legal ramifications. And that's what the government can do when you are saying because of the color of your skin, you have to sit in a certain spot in the bus. You have to sleep in different hotels. You have to eat in different parts of the restaurant. You have to use different water fountains and restrooms. That's not equality. That's not America. That's wrong. And it should have been corrected decades before it was. There's no doubt about that. Moving forward now is about hearts and minds. Legally, you can't do certain things anymore. You're not allowed to. And there's punishments if you do. That doesn't change hearts and minds. So addressing it in in its full capacity, no matter what the politics of it is, I think is an important distinction to make. There are plenty of people I like of different races. There are people I don't like. But it has nothing to do with the color of their skin. It has everything to do with the way they, they act, the way I perceive their actions to be. And I'm not always right. I am always looking for input from people. And there's a lot of people that say you don't understand. And I admit, I don't fully understand. It's so funny to say this, but I've been racially profiled. But that doesn't mean I understand racial profiling. Does that make sense? I was I was in this is, um, you know, going back to my days growing up in the south um, on the east part of town. There were railroad tracks and it was the classic. You don't go on that side of the railroad tracks after night after dark and you have no business in this part of town after dark. Those were the unwritten rules of how things were. Um, there was a part of town where we recruited from that was called Harlem Heights. And it was it was uh, largely a minority community. And. You didn't have any business being in that neighborhood after dark. And uh, I was taking some kids home from football practice. Uh, I was coaching Pop Warner football, and I was taking a couple of kids home from football practice. And on my way out of that neighborhood, I got stopped by a sheriff's deputy. And, you know, he said to me, there's only two reasons why you're in this neighborhood, and neither one of them are good. What are you doing here? I was still wearing my coach's clothing, and I explained to him who I was and why I was there. And they never bothered me again because I gave a legitimate reason for being there. So I understand, but it wasn't the same situation. I'm not equating that to racial profiling. What I'm saying is that we've all had instances where race played a role in a situation. What we have to get past and what we have to get to is we have to have the ability to coexist, understand cultural differences, celebrate cultural differences. But at the same time, we have to understand that when we are – When there is someone that is put upon because of the color of their skin, it has a deeper meaning than that immediate situation. And I think if more people understood that, we'd get past it better. We'd have more conversations. It's not a comfortable conversation, and I don't want every conversation I have with somebody of a different race to be about the fact that we're a different race. But if you aren't able to address it with people that you trust, in other words, having a an adult conversation about the situation, being willing to be wrong, but saying what you believe and coming to an understanding, it never ends. 
It never ends. If you notice, when you look at professional sports, I've told this story before. I interviewed Alice Cooper, and what Alice Cooper said about music and why he started his teen center is exactly what I've always said about organized sports. And he always says about musicians, he said, you know, all of the isms, you know, the racism and everything else, it's dropped when you put an instrument in a kid's hand. doesn't matter how many parents are in the home. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It's all about the music. Well, Give kids a football. It's all about the game. And what those life lessons are is those isms get dropped and you build relationships and then the relationships you never would have had otherwise possibly or an understanding when you work together for a common goal. And maybe we need more of that and less separation. I don't know all the answers. I just look at this and think this is quite possibly the um, – the time where we're going to be able to resolve some of these issues. Now, I don't know what happens to Katie Hobbs campaign because of this, but it certainly isn't going to help. It certainly is not going to help her chances of winning a primary or winning a general election. And the way you handle this, I don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't know what the political fallout is. But the deeper story is it doesn't matter what political party you're from. If you're doing something like this, you deserve to be called out for it. There's no doubt about it. We're going to talk about we're going to carry this conversation forward. Um, The verdict against Jesse Smollett came in yesterday. And what will be the fallout? Because there were so many people that were quick to believe his story and very prominent political people so quick to believe his story. And it turns out that it was completely false. How damaging is that? We'll talk about that in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. The case of Jesse Smollett has been, or Juicy Smollier, as as, uh, as, as uh, Dave Chappelle would call him, um, has been settled, uh, or at least for temporarily. His attorneys say that they are going to appeal this case. If you don't know what happened, uh, Jesse Smollett, who is a very big actor on the show Empire, um, and uh, he said that two guys in MAGA hats attacked him at 2.30 in the morning in Chicago and beat him up using racial and uh, anti-gay epithets and beat him up. And uh, it caused the storm. The president of the United States, the current president, uh, back then tweeted out about how horrible it was. The vice, Our current vice president, same thing. And many people bought this story out of hand. And believe that it was true because a lot of people thought it was possible. If you are a a Donald Trump supporter, you hate black people and you hate gay people. And so what Jesse Smollett did is prey upon the already vicious political climate in America. His attorney spoke out. I want you to hear just a bit of this. This is what his attorney said after the verdict. How is he supposed to know who attacked him? He's not the police department. He's not the Chicago police. He's not the Chicago Detective Bureau. We remain 100% confident in our client's innocence. From the first day of this case, his case has been prejudged. His case has been tried in the media, uh, and it's unfortunate. So uh, his case has been tried in the media because he went to the media. And how is he supposed to know who attacked him? He hired them. What do you mean, how is he supposed to know? That's what the jury found. He knew exactly who attacked him. 
So the special prosecutor in this case talked about um, why this happened. Mr. Smollett would not have lost this case as he did today unless the jury found that he lied to them. This jury worked so hard and for Mr. Smollett to get up in front of them and lie for hours and hours and hours, that really compounded his misconduct. The fact that he came up with a completely uh, ridiculous story to explain his misconduct did not apparently have an impact on the jury's verdict. So when you when you hear this and then it's blamed on someone else, you blame it on the media or you blame it on other people, it is an unfair thing to do and it makes things much worse. But here let's talk what we were just talking about, issues of race in America. People are already on edge, not everyone, there but people. I mean, we there are members of our society that only see life through race. And I hate that. You know, it, it's it's unfortunate that that's how people see things, that it's it's solely through a racial prism. There are other people that see it due to sexual identity, gender, gender identity. When you are a one issue person, for the most part, you see life through that prism and it's a difficult way to live. But there is no doubt that there is racial tension in America. When you are playing upon that, we've already got a tinderbox out there with what's going on in America. When you are doing something like Jesse Smollett did, everybody should be furious. Should he repay Chicago? Absolutely. I think the investigation cost about $130,000 or whatever it was. Yes, all that repayment should be made. But when you play upon people's fears, when you when you already have people that are predisposed, and, and I don't necessarily agree with it, but when you have people on the left side of the aisle that say this president is a Nazi, this president is a white supremacist, he caters to white supremacy. When you when that is out there in the media and then you go out and say two guys in a MAGA hat beat me up at two thirty in the morning when I was out getting a sandwich um, and they used racial and, and gay slurs at me. Um, what you are doing is you are stoking the fire of discontent. And I think that's much worse than anything else this guy did. What would, I don't know what the purpose was. And unless I can now say he did it because he's been convicted, but this is one of those cases where everyone should look at this and say, it's not helpful. And I'll tell you why it's bad. It's bad because there are real cases of racism and racial bias and discrimination. And, well, we, we played a few moments ago Talanya Adams, who won a two and a half or whatever it is, million dollar lawsuit against the state legislature. When there are real cases that happen, they've got to be exposed. They have to be corrected. They have to be punished. And then we have to be able to move on. When you create something that didn't happen, it makes questions about everything. When, uh, uh, you know, the, I think that sexual assault is the worst possible thing you can do to next to murdering someone. Sexual assault is the worst possible thing you can do when someone fakes a claim of sexual assault. What it does is it casts doubt on a lot of other people. You can't usually wipe that stink off if you've been forced, you know, uh, falsely accused of something like that. A court may say you're not guilty, but in the minds of many people, there is always going to be a stain. When you do something like this and you take what is already an issue that has America on edge and you use it in this way, I think it goes much further than just repaying money. This guy's facing 20 years in prison. We have enough real issues around us. We have enough real conversations that have to be had. 
about opportunity, about ideas, about uh, assumptions about people. We have so many conversations that are necessary. What we don't need are people that do things like this. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what you are are doing is selfish and what you are doing is damaging. And it causes a lot of problems. So it should be exposed. I Listen, I applaud Talanya Adams coming out and speaking and speaking her mind. And the rest of the country should be exposing what Jesse Smollett did and saying in in light of everything else, it doesn't diminish the real cases of racism that are out there. But this is unacceptable and an unacceptable distraction from those real cases coming up just after 10 o'clock. I am going to talk with Karen Taylor Robeson. She is another one of our gubernatorial candidates. We'll let her weigh in on the topics of the day and her opinion on cameras in the classroom. All that's coming up. 